Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Experiments Web Clinic Audio Replay Podcast. Marketing Experiments is an internet marketing research laboratory. The web clinic you are about to hear was broadcast live to an international audience of marketing professionals. Sign up to be invited to future web clinics, as well as gain access to all of our online marketing research at marketingexperiments.com. All right. Well, here we go again. It seems like this is number 750 of these. It's been a long time, years and years and years of research in the lab, and we're still going and we're still learning every week. In fact, I was just having a conversation with John Powell, who's going to be joining me, talking about a test that just ended with World Vision and the things that we learned from that. But today we're discussing negative lifts. And uh, the subtitle is this, how a 24% loss produced a 141% increase in conversion. Now, that's, a, um, that's an interesting subtitle. In fact, it seems at first a contradiction, but as a philosopher, I learned uh, the nuance between a contradiction and a paradox, and it really is a bit of a paradox. Sometimes our greatest gains come from what appears to be our greatest losses. And that is ever true in the testing process. In fact, when you don't get a lift, you often learn more than when you do. When you don't get a lift, you have a clear negative, uh, direct, and what I would say is a flat one-dimensional learning. It did not perform as well. When you get a lift, you can't be sure that the lift you received is as high a lift as you could have received had you made the decision differently. So we're going to learn about negative lifts as this test unfolds. And today will be different. I have to say, you're probably used to us laying out a series of key action steps. We'll have some of that. But really, we're going to get into some deep theory to help you understand how to learn more from your testing process. And as we do that, we're going to take this to live optimization and it will be different today. We're going to be talking about these various pages that have been submitted by you in the audience about how to think them through so that the test helps you not simply get a lift, but also an important learning. If you want to follow along in uh, Twitter, you can do so with the uh, information you see on the screen, hashtag webclinic. I'm Flint McLaughlin. I'm joined by John Powell, who's been with me for a long time. I've watched John grow up and get promotion after promotion, and now he's handling a number of major projects across our group. And it's wonderful to be with him on a webcast. Let's go straight to an experiment. This is from Test Protocol 1427. It's a group called Reg Online. They are an event management software group that lets users create online registration forms and, uh, and event websites to manage their actual events. Of course, the goal here was to increase the number of completed leads on the home page. And we had a primary research question, and that is which page will achieve the greatest addressable lead rate? Pay attention to the primary research question. If you've been on these events before, you've probably watched me read the background or discuss the background and skip rapidly through the primary research question. But I would venture to say that 85 to 90% of all people who I query about designing tests cannot formulate a proper primary research question. I have asked the question of many academics, including PhDs, who are unable to professors who are unable to articulate a proper research question or who do not know the difference between a research question as it is reflected in a primary research single factorial design and a theory question. We're going to talk about all of that as this session unfolds, but now let's go straight back to the experiment. Here you see the control. Notice the testimonials, the lead form, and the screenshots. This was a winning page, and uh, they wanted to improve on their other wins and they wanted to see more leads. And so the analysts and scientists at uh, Mech Labs went to work along with the designers uh, and uh, they took the first page, they took the second page, you're seeing the second page of the control and uh, they began to prepare a treatment. Here is uh, the treatment. This is the beginning of uh, an attempt to achieve an optimized page. Look at it carefully. Notice the differences. Headline, good subheadline, form is simpler, page has a lot more clarity, 
We've reduced the fields themselves. The value proposition is much clearer, etc., etc. Here is a simplified homepage step two. Testimonials on the right-hand side. A lot of the things that we've learned and taught in this clinic are taking place on this particular page. And uh, then uh, here is a step three process where we're having them create the username and password later in order to facilitate uh, a quicker decision and less friction on the critical part of the process. Let's look at them side by side. There you see the first page and there you see the second. And uh, now, uh, I'd like to take a look at this for just a moment. I want you to absorb it. You don't have to use your Q&A feature yet, but ask yourself which one of these pages will produce the highest yield and why. And while you're thinking about that, let me go straight to the data. Here you have it. The geniuses at Mech Labs managed to grow conversion by a negative 24.5%. Look, the conversion rate on the control is 2.3%. The conversion rate in the treatment is 1.7%. That's a relative difference, again, of 24.5. So in spite of having a clear value proposition, reducing the amount of form fields in the first step and all the things that we did, the original page, that is the control, outperformed the treatment. Now, what's going on here? We're losing, it would appear, on the surface. But are we really? I remember the background of this story. And uh, John Powell is with me. And I may have John talk about the next test in just a moment. But John Powell is with me, and I remember John coming to me after this test with uh, questions and, uh, and us thinking through a second test, which I don't think we're going to show you. But I will tell you the part that my, my uh, gracious staff omitted in the slides, and that is I designed and helped with the next test. And in it, I made a couple of simple changes, and we saw a dramatic increase of 26% on the front end and uh, an embarrassing 26% loss on the back end so that we grew a grand total of zero. What's going on here? One of the things I tell my staff over and over again is that if any one of us in this group tries to produce for ourselves a record of genius wherein every single time we recommend a treatment, it's the winning treatment, then we're not taking enough risks to make enough progress, to learn enough. There are two essential qualities for every great marketer. One of those is a kind of brutal honesty, because if you won't face the facts, you can't learn. And the other is a kind of embarrassing level of humility, because you've got to be able to often fail, and fail with data sets to prove it. The question is, are they failures? And that's what we want to talk about today, because many of the tests that haven't achieved for you a lift are still replete with something far more important than a lift. In fact, I would say, and we'll talk more about this in a moment, the goal of a test is not to get a lift. Let me show you a subsequent test. And, uh, and so, here we are. And John, uh, this is the same group. Go ahead and give us a little bit of background. So, this is the same page. This is the same channel of traffic. Um, and really the goal is the same. Everything was the same except we're trying a different approach, uh, testing uh, an entirely different approach uh, because of what we've learned in the past tests and also some tests that we ran just before it. So I'm, if nobody objects, I'd like to move uh, right onto the pages, screenshots. So on the left we have the control, the winner in this case, and then we have the treatment. Um, and um, I don't know if I have a chance to really talk about the treatment here, but just to, to let you know, we tried in a completely different approach, and it happened to do with the uh, thought sequences. What thought sequences were we forcing the visitor to go through prior to making the ask, which is the call to action? And it's subtle. You actually won't really see the difference unless you look carefully uh, on the right. All right. Okay. Yeah. All right. So watch the two slides slide by side and let's look at the difference. The treatment produces an 89.8% gain over the control that we looked at in the first set of experiments. Let's go back again. Here's the control. We ran a test against this control and uh, we had a negative conversion lift of 24.5%. Look at this later test with the control and a new treatment, 
and notice that there are differences here, but that this new treatment produces an 89.8% lift. Now, listen, I only have a little bit of time with you, and I don't want to use this valuable session with so many key marketers from all over the world logged in to simply look at experiments. I want to dig deep, understand something that will help you go back today, tomorrow, and get more value out of your existing testing. So, I want to raise the capital question, the question that everyone should have on their mind right now, and that is this. What happened in the second or in this last test that was so different than the first test? Why were we able to get an 89% plus lift, really a 90% increase with this particular lift? That's the question that I think we should all ask, but I'd like to ask a deeper question. What would have happened if the first test, instead of going backwards by 24.5%, went forwards by 24.5%, John and team could have declared a victory and said, look, we've drawn conversion dramatically. But is that really a victory? What if they had stopped testing there, feeling like they had a gain? Drucker said the enemy of excellence is adequacy. Many of us are proclaiming failures when we actually have the seeds of success and we're claiming successes when we are actually facing some significant failures. Why? Well, the first principle I want to teach will help bring clarity to that. The goal of a test is not to get a lift. The goal of a test is to get a learning. What happened between the first round of tests that we showed you and the last round of tests that we showed you is that we glean significant learnings about the customer, about the prospective customer. And that set of learnings enabled us to translate the test into a maximum gain rather than an adequate gain. The danger here would have been if we had gotten the 24.5% positive lift and not learned enough about the customer that we lulled ourselves with a false sense of security into thinking that we had a success. That is not a success. That 24.5% gain would have left, what, 65% is that the number? On the table that you would be losing every single day thereafter. Now that depends on how you do the math, but you get the basic understanding. So, we don't use testing simply to get lifts. That's too basic that's too primitive in its understanding. We must use tests to get learnings. And if we accumulate the right learnings, we can achieve the maximum lift. Think about that. And then understand the next two pieces here. To achieve the maximum amount of learning, your test should be designed around two key elements. There is, first of all, a research question. And there is, second of all, a theory question. Now, I'm learning and leading towards something I, I want you to think very carefully about because our opportunity today is short to capture a new way to think about our testing. Many of us are pressed on all sides. We're just thankful that we're getting a test done at all. We don't have a design of experiments. Our testing is random. It's chaotic. We don't even identify all the validity threats. I'll show you a chart about that in just a moment. We're happy to throw a test up, and if we get a lift, we get to brag about it to our team. We're thankful that we've got a gain, management's glad, and then they're asking for the next lift. We hardly have time to celebrate one before we're being pressed to somehow get better results somewhere else. This keeps us from being able to think deeply enough so that we actually learn something about our customer that transcends a mere lift. Let's talk about that. To understand how we capture that kind of transcendent learning, we have to know the difference between a research question and a theory question. Now, here's a research question as it would fit on a test protocol. You see a formula that we use for getting useful tests. At Mech Labs, one of the things we teach in our Fundamentals of Online Testing is how to conduct a useful test. We had to develop a heuristic for that. You see it in the upper corner. U equals 2Q plus T plus M plus 2V plus I. I've never taught it on one of these programs, but I had to develop it because I found there was this great void. The academics wanted to conduct a, a good test, a valid test. But a valid test might not necessarily be useful to a business. Just because the test 
has been successful in identifying an answer to a question doesn't mean it was the right question. Doesn't mean that that question will drive a success metric for the business. On the other hand, you have the, 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 the business leader whose goal is to move the needle. And they may not conduct a test that's even valid. Because once they start to see success, they're ready to shut it down and go with it. That's very dangerous. What we want is a useful test, something that is both valid and, let's say, relative uh, or relevant to what we're trying to achieve. Now, that being the case, you have to start with a research question. And in our form, our proprietary form that we use in testing, this is just the top view of a detailed multi-pane spreadsheet. We begin with the research question. Let's learn how to formulate one. A research question is a behavioral question expressed in a factorial split. Now, I just got academic on you, and I apologize. I'm going to get simple in just a moment. But because of this, it must begin with the words which. If you give me a research question when it's a single factorial split, by the way, you know of A-B testing. A-B testing is single factorial testing. So when we're talking about testing one factor, and we're splitting it as we would in an A-B format, then you're really, literally looking at two versions. And because you're looking at two versions, or unless you're going ABC, which is still single factorial, you must begin your research question with the words which. So this is not a good research question. What is the best price for product X? That might be a question that drives your research question, but it's not the research question. And if you don't formulate your research question right, you can't answer it right. And if you can't answer it right, you can't get the right information to make the right decision. So, this is a research question. Which of these three price points is best for product X? Not this. Why am I losing customers in the last step of my checkout process? But this. Eliminating which form element best reduces customer drop-off. Now, I'm hoping that you're understanding this because I want to teach something more profound than this, but you have to know this so I can move to the next step. Let me test the audience. Take a look at the question number one on the screen. What is the best headline for my landing page? And use your Q&A feature so that we can see you articulate a good research question. Take a moment. Type in a proper research question. Think about what we just said. Here we go. Which headline would give me the best result for my product? That's a good answer. Which of these headlines converts the best? Which is the best headline? Yes, you're getting it. By the way, I saw somebody uh, use a four-letter word and uh, as, the, as the noun and academic as the um, adjective. Stand by. You've got to think deeply for a few minutes and then we can get practical. But you need to understand this. Sometimes we don't have the right mix of depth and width in order to get a result. You're getting it. The audience is answering correctly. Susan Dale, you did it right. Robert, you're right. Greg, you're right. Uh, Craig, you're right. Stephen Graff, you're right. Alright, so let's look at one more. And then we're going to move on. I need to control back. There we go. How many objectives should I have on my home page? Now, let's formulate that into a research question. Do it swiftly so I can keep teaching and then go to live op. All right. I'm watching. Let me see which... Take you a moment to type it in. How many objectives should I have on my home page? Can you turn that into a research question? All right. Here we go. What motivates? Which is the best of these three... Uh, Objectives, you might say, instead of headlines, because we moved to objectives. There you go. Turn it into a which question, and you're beginning to understand the formulation of the research question. Now, let me, let me concede to everyone on the line that asking which headline works, A or B, isn't as exciting or sexy as asking some of those other questions. But it's the only one you can answer with the test. And you need to know what you can answer and what you can't. Now, the test can start to answer something more fundamental, and that's where we go next. And that is the theory question. And this is a piece that you probably are not familiar with, and yet in some ways you've heard things that connect with it. And I want to bring all of that together. And when we're done, we're going to look at your landing pages and show you how this connects 
with getting a lift tomorrow when you run your next campaign? Let's understand the theory question. The theory question is a broader question about your customer. It's derived from asking why. Just hang on to that because I'm going to illustrate this in just a moment. The answer to the theory question should help you get a wider or a deeper understanding of your customer. We call this the customer theory. Every business should be built around a customer theory. Let me explain. The which question that you see on the screen on the left is what drives that particular test. Behavior is going to help you understand identity. Identity is over here on the what question. The theory question helps me understand the identity of my customer. And it's essential to know that because as we have taught, and if you've not been to one of our sessions before, you need to look up one of our sessions on value proposition. If I am your ideal customer, here's the key question that should drive every business's marketing messaging. If I am your ideal customer, why should I buy from you rather than your competitors? Now, that question is essential, and until you have the answer to that question, you're simply surviving on pockets of ignorance. So much of marketing is waste because we haven't taken the time to understand the answer to that question and then articulate it very carefully in all of our messaging. But it has a kind of precondition, and that is if. See, this contingency. If I am your ideal customer. Now, central to understanding the value proposition is the word ideal customer. And what you've got to do is fill in this void in your mind about who your customer is. And you've got to understand that customer theory. Now, let me help, let me help you for a moment. You're probably sitting here wondering right now, how do I connect this to what I'm doing tomorrow? And you might be hearing uh, all of that language you've heard about demographic profiles. And, and uh, there's lots of sexy terms that most of us can't actually cash in when it comes time to trying to market. Listen to me carefully. The best way to understand somebody is not to get them to give you a... Uh, uh, description of themselves, but it is to watch their behavior. I was teaching yesterday and I said, I know more about a person by monitoring two forms of metrics than I do about anything they say. I said, give me their schedule and give me their check ledger. Show me how they spend their money. Show me how they spend their time and I'll know more about who they are and what they value than all the words they want to give me. Now let's take it from that right back to marketing. Let me see your behavior. Behind the success at Mech Labs in the conversion heuristic and so many things that I've seen around the world where massive gains is the fact that we discovered long ago in our theory of value exchange that what you don't need is another focus group. You don't need another set of opinions. Those are useful, but only if they're anchored in behavioral testing. I want to see what you do and then base my response on your actions, not your words or your predictions about your actions. I saw a $40 million launch for one of the biggest brands in America, bomb. They had $40 million invested in developing the product, $25 million for the first three months marketing budget. They had a burn rate of a million and a half to support the staff. And they had not done the basic thinking I'm talking about right now, and they lost every bit of it, as we predicted they would, because they did not articulate the value proposition properly. You need a customer theory. Who is this customer? So stay with me because now we're moving from which to what. And I'll show you how they come together. If, let's take the headline test. You offer two kinds of headlines. And they choose the headline that emphasizes features as opposed to low price. Then I ask a question. Why did my customer or my prospective customer choose the features headline over the discounted price headline. And as I do that, it leads to a question, well, what does that tell me? I'm back to what now? What does that tell me about my customer? And that allows me to fill in some of the missing information. And I keep... Then when, then when they answer that, I say, but why then does my customer think this way? And I keep asking these, these what questions driven by these why questions that help me to fill in my understanding of the customer. So when you design a test, you need to ask a question. Not just which headline will perform best, but 
why does that headline perform best and what does that tell me about my customer? As you capture that knowledge, you can cash it in over and over again with campaigns that work more effectively and success that will multiply and can be repeated. So, look on the left. Here's the research question. Which headline will generate a higher response? Look at the two headlines. Save $100 on product X. And here's number two. Product X comes with a lifetime guarantee. That's not the whole headline. That's just the headline essence. And then you ask, but why? And what does my ideal customer prefer? Cost or savings? So we went from which to why to what? The more you do that intentionally, the more you're going to understand your customers. Now, I'm going to stop there for just a second. I want to show you another example, but I want to switch to the audience feedback and I want to ask you to give me direct optimization work right now. Are you learning from this? You know, if you've attended these clinics before, we look at lots of examples. I'm getting ready to show you examples, show you some how, and then take you through live op. But does this make sense? Is this is the pace that I'm taking with you the right pace? Please give me feedback immediately using the Q&A function so that I can see that uh, we uh, are connecting with you, that you're understanding that I'm going at the right pace. I'm watching. Just use the Q&A function and give us your comments. Okay? I'll watch as those comments are coming in. In the meantime, let me go to the second piece. All right? Which call to action will generate a higher response? Get your product X now or learn more about product X? Now what? We're going to ask, let's suppose that A wins. We're going to ask why. And that leads to a what question. What, uh, what is the thought sequence of my ideal customer at this point in the funnel? Are they ready to buy? Are they ready to learn more? Is it too early to ask them to purchase? Good. Now, if you're following that, follow with me because I want to take this and show you precisely how that other experiment unfolded. Remember this? 24% down on the home page. Now, let's, let's take it and show you how we went from, from the result that looked like a loss and turned it into a win by capturing a learning. So, you ask the question, why did this treatment underperform? And you looked at each element in the treatment and you ask why. Which led to some questions, a kind of pre-theory that allowed us to design a new test, not on the home page, but on a landing page for SEO. We felt in that environment we could capture more information that would help us understand uh, how to go back and approach the home page. What happened on the SEO landing page? Well, we got a 548% increase in conversion. Were you going to say something, John? Go ahead. You guys should know that the left is the winner on that one, not the right. Yep. Okay. And then from the 548%, we went back, asked the same question, why? What does that tell us about the mindset of our customer? And we went up to the home page again, ran a new test, and this test produces a 90% increase in uh, conversion. And overall, again, we're asking why, we run a second test and drive it up yet again, 27%. And what's happening? Please, as a teacher, it's, it's kind of important for me for you to capture what's going on here. We're not just trying to get lifts. We're trying to learn about the customer. We're intensifying our understanding. We're building out our customer theory. So now, we refine what we learned in this test, ask why again, and get a 27% increase. Overall, just on the home page, not including the SEO landing page, they're getting an aggregate 141% cumulative lift in their process. They're getting it right now as I speak. That test probably occurred, what, three months ago? So, it's, it's real and it's translated into dollars and cents. And it's important for you because some of you who are a little... Who, who may be thinking now, well, I, I hear all this academic stuff, but how do I translate it? Listen, it's translated right here into revenue. And it can translate into revenue for you if you'll stop and take the time to get more out of the test you're already doing. All right, now, I'm going to take you forward to another test. 
if this is helpful for you right now, I just want to point out for you that this whole event today is being made possible because HubSpot, once again, has underwritten the cost of this, uh, bringing all this research to you live in this event. This is a very, very elaborate procedure here. We're actually producing a video for you that tells you how a Mech Labs web clinic comes. I'm in a studio. There are people everywhere. There's mics and sound people and there is work that's been done, research, all of it aggregated. Hours and hours, hundreds of hours of work that goes into producing clinics. And uh, HubSpot made that possible today and we want to thank them for this and uh, for their, for their uh, research grant to make it happen. Let's look at this one more time, the theory applied. I remember this one. This is the largest list provider in America. We've, we've uh, anonymized their brand, but I think we could use it now, but it doesn't matter. Just get the idea. This is the original page. The first test produces a 201% lift. But we're trying to understand something more profound about our customer. So we have the gain, but we're wondering now, can we translate that gain and the learning about the customer to their standard template? What we want to do is put this same change on a new template without going backwards. It's a win if we don't go backwards. The next test is run. We get a 2% increase. That's a big gain for us. That means we were able to hold on to what we learned. That leads us to thinking, well, you know, the template itself is flawed. Let's test the template. So we take the template, test it again, and guess what? We get another 29% increase, this time by modifying the essential template driving the website's uh, marketing messaging. Now, at this point, it would be easy to pronounce a success. But the success, please hear me, is not in the numbers that have been lifted. It's not the 201, it's not the 2%, it's not the 29%. It's in the aggregated learnings about the customer. The success is not in the lift, the success is in the learnings. You say, well, I just want the lifts. If you focus on the lifts at the expense of the learnings, you'll never get the maximum lift. Once we had the 29% lift, there was like something that occurred inside the the researchers and the scientists understanding. It was a click. Now we get it. Now we understand. Here's what happens next. We push those lifts all the way around the site, achieving massive gains over and over again throughout the business almost simultaneously. I mean, this drove revenue throughout the business that was unexpected. It had me in the and I didn't conduct this research, my team did, but I was in the city and I ended up in the C-suite with the CEO of this Fortune 500 company uh, because he's trying to figure out what's going on in that division. What's happening is somebody optimized the process and in doing so, got a deeper, more profound understanding of the customer. That's the customer theory. And that's driving everything I'm trying to teach you today. So if you're here, I'm about to start live optimization, so stand by. But if you're here and saying, all right, so how does this change what I do tomorrow? Well, first of all, it means that you should do something very simple in terms of me describing it, but very important in terms of its impact. After you've got your research question formulated, I don't care if we're using GA, that is Google Analytics, or Test and Target, or Visual Web Optimizer, or a homegrown system, you put together your basic research question, you start your test, but you should stop and say, why? Why did my customers choose this over this? You've got to ask more why questions if you're going to be an effective marketer. And the why question will always lead to the what question. And that is, what does this tell me about the identity? Remember something again. Behavior is the best way to understand identity. So I'm going to go from which, that's a behavioral choice. He chose which, he chose A over B. That's behavior. Which is the behavior piece? Why is the philosophy spade that you dig down deep with? And what is the great learning about your customer that helps you become more effective overall as you market? Very good. If you've gotten that, I'd uh, like to ask you if you want to hear more about this with perhaps uh, some practical steps. If so, use the Q&A feature and vote right now. We're going to count every vote and uh, determine whether or not to have a part two for this particular clinic. While you're voting, I'd like to pull up a couple more things for you because we're moving rapidly into live optimization. Uh, there's the summit in Boston. I'm going to be teaching extensively in Boston and San Francisco at our two summits for 
lead generation and B2B marketing. That's coming up. You can read more about that at the Marketing Sherpa website. And uh, I also want to especially point out HubSpot again. I'm starting live ops, so we're not wrapping this up, by the way, and I'm not drawing to conclusion. The best stuff is coming next. We're going to look at your websites. But I, I don't want to fail to recognize HubSpot for, uh, for all the work they did in making this possible. And uh, we're grateful that they have uh, provided uh, and sponsored uh, this uh, research presentation. So uh, let's move on then to LiveOp. Now you've seen us optimize landing pages live before, but this time we're going to look at a page. Here's the first one. This was submitted by the audience. And we're going to help you start to think about your testing strategy. And that is, what would you test first so that you just didn't get a learning, but you also got a lift? And before I, uh, I answer that, I'm going to take you through the whole page because on the left side of the page, you'll see that it's a long page. And so that we could make it especially visible, we've blown up the top half. There it is. And here is the bottom half. So you have the top half and the bottom half. And uh, by the way, if you don't know what just happened, they're making fun of me in the studio my, they gave me a new microphone. Last time I said I want a better microphone because people had an issue with audio. And it's, it's a very expensive microphone, but we had uh, laughter in here while I tried to figure out how to put it on my ear. And apparently, um, my ears are deformed because I can't get it to stay on properly. And it just fell off in mid-sentence. And um, I really wish uh, that we were more... Uh, Effective, but we need a separate PhD over here to help us wear the microphone or get it wired right. And there it goes again. All right, so so we're gonna just keep going. We obviously need some bubble gum or something some, else to go with it. Yeah. yeah, that's a great thing in the research lab. We do most things with duct tape. Uh, all right, I'm looking at uh, quotescott.com, and uh, this was submitted by John. The site has not been tested. The objective is to drive traffic into our forms and convert them into leads. Traffic's coming from organic search, and uh, I wanted to go ahead and see uh, John Powell give us some thoughts on what you might do to make this uh, site uh, more effective for testing. Well, what I would want to learn first off is is really what is you've got a, a bunch of different people coming into the homepage because of the organic, uh, fun, you know, the organic traffic. I would want to know what the majority of those people respond to. So you can find that out with the headline, which headline will produce uh, you know, greater click-through rate. And you could do that, uh, for example, what I would want to learn is, are they more interested in finding the best price? Because that's what you get when multiple quotes, you find the best price. Or are they interested in just seeing all the quotes uh, right away or just the number of quotes? So you don't have to go to five or six different websites. Um, are they interested in um, you know one easy place to apply? That kind of thing, though it seems small, can make a tremendous difference um, in the response because you don't know exactly what they're looking for there. Another thing that I would test too would be um, presentation of the product. So right now you have an image um, on the right of it's kind of visible that it's a car, um, but for the type of site that this is, this is kind of like an all-in-one type of thing. Would customers respond more quickly or more immediately to imagery that actually describes, that shows the process in a visual of how it works? You apply here and you get all of this all at once. So you don't actually have to visit multiple sites. You know, is it stock imagery or is it imagery that helps explain the value proposition or even intensify it as opposed to just, it's a car, they're driving, and you could be too. Um, you know, that, um, also, you know, those are two main things. Um, also, when you take a look at the you know, the, the content itself, um, you've got all of that copy there, but what if you replace that with more of a, a you know, less copy, more imagery, something that would um, describe the process in more detail? Okay, what would be the effect of that on conversions? Those are the kind of things that would teach me the kind of response customers have to the stuff that I'm presenting on my site, and then more importantly, the appeal or my value proposition, which is what I'm offering at the core. All right, now let me just step in here for a second. We, we saw three pages. If you're standing by and watching, your page might be coming up and we might be optimizing it, so, so remain with us. But here's the key. To get the most out of these sessions, we want to optimize these pages with transferable principles that you can apply to your own websites. So start listening carefully for things that would be applicable to you. I want to give you one right now, and that is that sometimes we get incremental improvements because we keep testing against a page design that's overall in its category the wrong page. 
the short way to say that is some pages shouldn't be optimized. They should be burned and you should start over. I am not saying this page should be burned, but I am saying it should be tested by a radical redesign. Now listen carefully. Too many times, too many times we take a page like this, change a few pieces and test it and that doesn't work. We try another, change a few pieces and test it and that doesn't work. Or we test or change one piece because we have heard that it's an A-B split test. If you change more than one variable, you don't get a valid learning. That is not true. You can change variables in clusters. We teach you how to do that. But whether you understand that or not, understand this. Every page should have some radical redesigns thrown against us. In the New York Times, after achieving nearly a thousand percent increase across a series of tests, we tested again, this time challenging the entire design that we had thoroughly optimized after 12 months with long copy. They were against it. They held us back for six months. They said, look, what you've already done is winning. It's conversion rates are so high, we can't take the risk of another test. But when we ran our new design against our best previous design, we got a further 88% lift. What happened? We changed the page category. One way to change a page category is the length of copy. Another way is the actual tone and style. Another way, uh, when I say tone and style, I'm talking about the whole look of the page. And uh, another way is to the function of the page, whether you use a configurator or regular nav, some major device. All of those are ways to change a page's design into categories. But this page can be improved. What I'd like to do is back up, whoops, right to here, and, uh, and get you ready because I'm going to take you to a new page. This is the top. This is the bottom. And I want my audience to optimize. Go to the Q&A function right now in your site and tell me how to make this page better. Uh, if, uh, Mary, you're online, there's a lot that can be done with this page and I want to let the audience help us, okay? Good, here we go. Give us some thoughts quickly. Tell us how you'd fix this. Somebody said, can we see the top again? All right, we'll start with the top. So the bottom is these two columns and the top looks like this. Tell us what you do. Which, uh, put more content on the top. No call to action. A clear call to action. It needs a headline. Somebody said feet. Derek, I don't know what feet mean. Oh, I see. I see. I do see what feet means. Good point. He has the word feet with a question mark. Hemingway said, make every word tell. Derek, you did it in one word. Yes. What are the feet about? Uh, well done. All right. Reduce your images. Smaller forms. One column. What am I getting? Main image doesn't reinforce value. Mary, uh, I haven't got to meet you personally uh, and I don't know if you designed the page and I'm going to hope that you didn't design the page because you might not like me if I give you an honest assessment of this page. But I want to do it right now. The audience is making good points. Too many form fields around the page. Good. But... Uh, uh, I say this graciously because I want to help you. And, I, and I'm sure you probably didn't design it, by the way. This is one of those pages that you do not optimize. This is a page that you figuratively uh, douse in gasoline and then light a match to it. And I mean that, I mean that I, I'm trying to say it kindly, but it's a horrible page. And you can make it better, uh, not by changing something incrementally, but the image is completely wrong at the top. If it's a flash presentation, it's more wrong. The form is right, uh, wrong on the, on the right. The, the three boxes evenly weighted on the bottom hurts conversion. Nothing is worse, by the way, than having a paragraph almost as long as a page and no iPad through it. And worse, it's divided into two columns. So there is something worse. Something worse than worse. Um, we have two columns. How many of my audience have heard about two columns? We've seen over and over again that you can't have a sequential thought flow. You control the geography. You control the chronology of the thought process with the geography of the page. It's very important that you use chronology to control, uh, you know, let it be controlled by the geography of the page. So you need a vertical flow. And we lose the vertical flow here. I don't understand the call to action. And almost everything about the page violates what we've learned before from 10,000 tests like this. John going to help you by talking about exactly what he tests, not just to get a lift, but to get a learning. I just have to, I just have to weigh in because listen to him. He's going to teach you something for a moment. But the bigger issue here is the whole page is wrong. Go ahead, John. Actually, he's right about the whole page being wrong because the one thing Flint didn't mention is that most of the traffic that comes here is from AdWords. You know what that means? You can control where it goes. And you actually know what they're searching for. So you've got a potential home run here, meaning make channel-based specific pages. One page for this ad group, one page for this ad group. In fact, you can completely throw it out. You can even take out the navigation. You can 
have a headline that's specific, a subheadline. You could have copy. You can do the entire page specific to an appeal that somebody has told you that they're looking for. You can match that motivation, give them a call to action far greater than any homepage can do. And guess what? You could decrease your cost by increasing the quality score. So the potential to double conversions and, and slash the cost in half is really the potential that you have with this. And that's one thing that a lot of people miss is, you know, what can you control coming to this page? That's why when he says burn it and start over, that's what I mean. You can literally burn it and start over because you can tell where people are going with an AdWords-based traffic. Excellent. I've got another page coming up, and I'm going to take, show you that page. We're going to optimize it together. But the audience uh, just submitted a question that we're going to answer. It says, what sort of volume do you look for so that you have a statistically relevant test? And how many visits are enough to draw a conclusion? That's from Jeremy. Uh, some of you know the answer to that immediately. Many of you do not. The reason I know that many of you do not is this chart. We just finished our optimization benchmark study. 196 studies uh, done around the world to see what people are currently doing in optimization. The benchmark guide has been released. Uh, I'm certainly not selling it now, but I just need this chart for you to see. It was shocking for me to discover when our analysts showed us that 40% of the world is still not even doing the basic form of of validity uh, analysis. That is uh, statistical significance. In every test, there are many things that keep you from getting a valid result. Most of us don't know about any of them but sample size. And in this case, even though we know about it, 40% of the world isn't testing that. If you're running tests and you're not waiting till you have an adequate sample size, all you're doing is um, lulling yourself into a false sense of security. You're medicating yourself into thinking you have a win. But if you have ever watched the test on a bell curve swing left and right, up and down, you'll discover that you could have shut that test off at any key point and came to a different conclusion. You must do these sample size tests. And the answer to the question is simply this. How many actions you measure, we call it actions, depends on two things. Uh, primarily... Well, the length of a test, let's say, how long it runs, depends on A, how many actions you have to measure, and B, the difference between the control and the treatment. If there's a big difference, you can do it with less actions. So, in simple terms, if you have 500 people a day visiting your website, you're probably going to have to run that test longer. If you have 10,000 people a day visiting your test site, that test will, will validate sooner. However, uh, if there is a huge difference between the control and the treatment, then either one of those tests will end much, much faster as it can reach validity. All right, let's keep going. Are you ready to look at a new page? Audience, I need you. This is a page that's better than the last one. It has lots of weaknesses, however, and it's a long page. Please notice we're looking only at the top. Here's the middle. Here's the bottom. Now, you can still see it. I'm going back to the top. You can see the whole page on the left side, but you can't read it. But you get a sense of the flow. I need you to tell me, how would you fix this particular page? Why register now, Derek Fisher says. Uh, spell check, says someone else. Too long and too much copy, says Avery. Avery, I recognize you've been on here before. Needs a headline with benefits, Lizette. Linda says, uh, needs a headline. I can't keep up. They're moving in fast. Keep coming. Graphic on the right doesn't help, Richard Lee. The picture's wrong, someone says. What exactly am I registering for, says Mike. Confusing with to register now. Needs more color, somebody says. What are customers registering for? Sally says this. Uh, Namita says, uh, CTA too long. Why should I register, said Graham. Why no color, says Jim Coe. All right. You, you, keep going, because here's what we do with your... We read all of these responses. We catalog, study them, learn from them. They influence how we build our clinics. We like to see what I would say the optimization IQ of our audience going up over time. We've noticed that as time passes, you get better and better. Let's look at the page. Let me hear from John. Now, remember, we're not just optimizing here. We're asking, how would we test something that would teach us something and, and help us learn more and expand our customer theory? John, go ahead. Actually, here's one idea. We actually, um, one of our partners had just tested this, and that's the effect of the credibility on visitors' performance. So right now, this page looks either it's dated or old or it, something looks wrong about it. I mean, it looks like it, it doesn't look like a professional page. And what's funny is that, that can actually have an effect on visitor behavior. That's one thing that I would do. So that's, that's where graphic design actually does matter 
um, in credibility. Um, also, channel-based specificity. The email is a lot of the traffic that comes here in some PPC, but mostly email. Why aren't you making individual email pages? I hope, I hope, I hope you are not sending all of your email traffic to this one page. Okay, so right away, channel-based specificity. How would my visitors respect, respond to uh, individual messages with individual specific benefits? You know, because you're probably emailing different audiences with different interests. Um, On-page value exchange. Sometimes it's harder for uh, visitors to move forward with that big question mark behind the registration door. So meaning, what if they saw all that value and the only thing that they had to do to register was give their name and email address and then they could see that actually could produce a gain for you. You don't know. You should test it. I've tested it before and it works. Um, also, controlling the thought sequence. Do people really immediately navigate away from this page and onto others? You see that nice little, um, that's a uh, navigation. Sometimes navigation can be a horrible thing, meaning if you've got price up there and they see your page and it's just not immediately clear, they're going to go straight to price and then they're going to back their way into the value. Um, that's bad, especially if you have an expensive product. What you want to do is you sometimes you want to use the navigation to control what they see first. So um, if it doesn't matter, if it doesn't help them make that next step or build them up to that next step, take it out. Those are some of the things that I would do, and I would understand the effect of thought sequence, again, on conversion. All right, excellent, John. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take this page apart, and we're going to learn more from it. We're going to talk about how to redesign it, and how to test it in a way to expand your customer understanding. It says oncology clinical trials in emerging regions. And let's begin with that. I don't know if that's a title. I don't know if that is um, uh, meaningful to the people coming in from the email, but it leads to a capital question. How much information are you providing in the email? Now, audience, this is a transferable principle. The goal of your email is not to sell. The goal of your email is to get a click. If you're trying to sell in your email and then drive into a landing page where you're trying to sell them again, all you're doing is ensuring that you're doing one of those jobs wrong. If you can do a better job of selling on the landing page, then why don't you focus on getting more people to click through on the email. That way you get as many people as possible engaging with your best possible sales presentation. Think of it as evaluating two different salespeople. The landing page is a better salesman or a better salesperson than the email is. Largely because the email is trying to be read uh, when images could be turned off uh, in a browser, small browser window, when it's competing with a lot of messaging at the same time on the left side screaming, you don't have their sole attention, I could go through it over and over again. But the biggest thing you want to do with an email is get them to the place where your best salesman can do his best job. And that happens by using the email to give them just enough information to ensure that they click through and there you give them enough information to get the sale done. So if you're not doing that already, William, the person who submitted this page, that will help you. Once they get to this page, you have a headline. And the goal of the headline is not to sell the product either. If they're coming from an email, the goal of the headline is to get them to to move past the headline and into the first paragraph. And that means it's got to connect. Think of it. Think of you standing at the top of the page and you're drawing them from, from the actual email into the website. And if you don't connect the email with the website, they click away because the way they get clarity is the back button. A headline I've taught before on the copywriting clinic is exactly the same as a pickup line. When you walk in and you see a girl and you have just and you want to have a relationship with her and let's suppose she's at the bar after work, it's going to have to start with a conversation. You're not going to get married to her until you talk to her and you can't talk to her unless you can get her into a conversation and you can't get her into a conversation unless you can get her to open up and respond and you can't get her to open up and respond unless you have a pickup line. Sounds like you've got this really refined girls. Girls. Interesting observation. <laughs> I've been married 24 years. I'm working on retention right now. <laughs> Girls, you've had guys who do this bad and you've had probably a few guys who do this well. And anyone in here who's in a serious relationship has been through this because somehow, someway, they had to get into a conversation. What's going on at the top of that page is a glorified pickup line. That's all it is. Its job is not to sell the product. Its job is to get you into the first paragraph. And I've got to tell you, if I walked up to a girl and didn't even speak a sentence, instead I just gave her a subject... I just walked up to her and said, uh, oh, let me think. Uh, Encyclopedia Britannica and other books, 
I don't think that would uh, get her attention very well. She'd look at you like you must have a screw missing. What we say here is oncology clinical trials in emerging rooms. You don't lead off your pages with titles. You lead off your pages with headlines. You can have a title there, but make sure the dominant message at the top of the page is a headline, probably followed up by a subheader, a lot, slightly larger than the uh, paragraph text, driving them to a key paragraph. That's got to happen here, and enough information has to be on this page to get them to make a decision, and much of this other information should probably be either in a supporting panel that they can pull up in a click-through that doesn't take them off the page but provides kind of a pop-up window, or if indeed they need all that information, then don't give them two places to register. If you've been on these clinics before, you've heard me say this before too. You don't have to have your call to action above the fold if that's the wrong place in the thought sequence. There is no fold. This isn't a newspaper, and this isn't 1956. If I walk up to the girl in the bar, and I say hi, and she says hi back, and I take that as I've had sufficient information, grab her by the back of the head and give her a kiss full on the lips, I'm in trouble. What happened? I got the call to action too soon in the thought sequence. She's not going to go home with you, and she's not going to give you a kiss, and she's not going to be the mother of your children until you've gone through a proper series of thoughts in a proper sequence. And... Keeping the call to action above the fold is like kissing the girl full on the lips before she knows enough about you to be ready to go forward with such things. Now, you may have heard that before, but I have to stress it again because you're doing it on this page. You tell me a little bit, then you ask for a kiss, then there's a whole bunch more, and you ask for a kiss again. And I can't tell if this kiss is for something different or for the same thing. So the slap in the face would be the negative lift, right? Yeah, the slap in the <laughs> face is a negative lift. That means go back and ask yourself why, and then ask yourself, why did she slap me in the face? And then say, what does that tell me about my prospective girl? And correct your actions accordingly. So, so the register and the two buttons, never have two identical buttons like this on the page. Because what happens is it's confusing. It looks like two products for sale. I could say more, but here's what I would be testing. Now listen, this is probably the... Most important part of all this. We've got three minutes left and we're going to close on time, but we're going to use and infuse value. I've got no pitch at the end of this. We're going to go straight through teaching right to the last minute, so stay with us. I, I'm looking at this page and I'd want to know something. I'd want to know instinctively if they're actually ready to purchase at this point where the register now button is. And I'd run a test with a shorter page and a call to action that would say, where are they at in the thought sequence now? If they are really ready to buy now, that is the majority of my customers, then I'd provide this second half of information as supplementary with a pop-up or blue underlying links that bring them into it, learn more. But I wouldn't emphasize it on the page. If, however, I discover that most of my audience isn't ready right now to buy, then that would tell me so much about the rest of this page and how to design it. I'd change the flow, I'd make it easier to read, I'd add some visuals, I'd create an eye path, but I'd give them sufficient information. Back to the girl. Really, all, all teasing aside, if that's the girl that is uh, the world, girl you want to marry, then there's a systematic process. And at least in 24 years ago when I was doing it, it started with a meter and I take her on a date. I didn't get a kiss on that date, by the way. And then I take her on another date, and there's a process, and eventually the dates lead to an engagement, and all that happens, and now I have three children. And uh, it was a very, very elaborate thought sequence. And I constantly had to optimize in order to get her to say yes, because she's much better looking than I deserved. So, here's the point. They've changed the slides on me all by themselves. These... these Commercial people at Mech Labs with their links and their marketing partners and training. Who gives a flip about the training? Just learn. Take me back to the other slide. All right. Oh, we got another. We can't do another one right now. We don't have time. I didn't know we had another one. We'd do that one. All right. Go ahead. Take me to your slide with your links. But I, I protest against the man here. Um, in the meantime, you'd have to be in the studio, by the way. I'm getting hackled all over the, all over the place. In the meantime, here's, here's the biggest thing I want you to think about. When it comes finally to that button, I test something else. Is register now the right language? Before I close, tell me what should be on that button. Somebody else tell me in the audience. Use your Q&A. We've learned about this. Every action you ask someone to take implies a sub-value proposition. This has its own value proposition. What do I get in exchange for the click? Well, guess what? I didn't wake up this morning and think, my God, I hope I can find something to register for. I don't, my heart doesn't leap with the thought of registering again. What would... 
Reserve your spot. Someone says, yes, I want to learn about oncology. Very good, Shirley. Somebody else, reserve my seat. That's a good one. Sign me up. No, I don't think so. That could be all right, but reserve my seat's better. uh, I I wouldn't say learn unless that's all it is. Join the trial. Have to think about the negative and positive connotations of trial, but it's a good thought. Uh, Guarantee my spot. That's pretty good. Guarantee my seat might be better for if it's doctors. (laughs) And it's cancer. Just a thought. But anyway, um, it's, it's a good idea. I am out of time. This is a Mech Labs web clinic. We do these about twice a month. We're conducting 1,200 studies this year. We take all that we've learned and we communicate it to you. We'd like you to come back and we'd like you to invite a friend. We don't charge for any of this research. Go to the website and there's probably 15, I don't know, I, I vary every time I say it, but between 15 and $20 million of the research on the website at marketingexperiments.com. It's free. Learn from it. Invite a friend, that's all we ask, to the web clinic, to the site, and uh, we'll keep trying to discover what works. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this recording of a Marketing Experiments live web clinic. You can sign up to receive invites to future live web clinics, as well as receive access to $10 million worth of internet marketing research at marketingexperiments.com. Thank you.